0: Hello and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the podcast edition. We are all on lockdown here and we're excited to be doing the podcast while the studio is closed along with the rest of the McAllister College campus uh, and even more excited to have the gang from Aftertime in the studio online mm-hmm. with us. Uh, gang, why don't you introduce yourselves?
1: I am A.J. Blakesley. I play drums. I uh, am Chris Radke. I play
0: the lead guitar. I am Brad Sturgis. I play the rhythm guitar.
2: And I'm Sarah Wolf, and I'm the lead vocalist.
0: Well, thank you all for being here. I know this is uh, not what we originally planned, but uh, given the circumstances, I'm, I'm really happy that we've got some technology that will allow us to, uh, to hang out together. Yeah. So uh, can I uh, get you guys to... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the band first. Maybe you'd start by telling us how long you've been together.
3: Uh, we've been together Chris and I met in twenty eleven and then we joined. AJ joined shortly after that. And then but like around twenty fourteen is where the whole lineup got together.
1: Yeah, that's when uh, we finally uh met Sarah and we were able to actually start making some meaningful progress. How, how did you how did you get
0: together initially?
1: Uh, well, Brad and I just met at, at a, we met at work. That's just how we met, and we were just like, hey, um, we like music. Let's make something sometime. <laughs> and then we just <laughs> then we just meet up every once in a while and start writing some stuff, and eventually that turned into um,
0: the the fall of light. And had you all been in bands uh, prior to getting after time together?
4: Uh, I was in a band with um, my sister a while back. We played a couple concerts. She played acoustic guitar and sang, and I would just <laughs> play drums in the background. And that was kind of my first initial band, per se.
1: <laughs> I played uh, with a few different friends back in high school, but, you know, it was just kind of a, a high school thing.
3: You know, that's what you do, right? Right. So that was the same, same deal with me, too, just kind of writing on the side while in high school, but... Uh, After Time was like the the first kind of big band thing to do. Sarah, what about you? I was you? in
2: pep band. I was in pep band. Does that count?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely no, does count. No, I didn't count. think
2: about doing anything uh, commercially until I was approached by by Brad and Chris. Before that, I was uh, looking more from the composer perspective.
0: How did how did each of you get your start in music? What was the impetus for you to pick up an instrument or start to start to perform?
1: Uh, growing
4: up, I had my uncle and cousin who were really good drummers, and I always wanted to play drums. So on my 11th birthday, since 11th birthday, my uh, grandma got me a drum kit for my birthday, and from that day on, I've never stopped drumming and learning, and it's been amazing. Did, uh, did your grandma I was... get
0: you that drum kit because she loved you or because she hated your mom and dad?
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe both.
0: <laughs> Brad, what about you? How did you get your start?
3: Uh, I got my first guitar probably when I was 14 years old maybe. Um, I also self-taught myself piano around that time too, so that was kind of where I started. But I also played trumpet in high school in all those uh, concert band performances?
1: I was, I think,
3: well, freshman
1: in high school, like 15 or something like that. I picked up my first Squire, you know, from a pawn shop, as one does. (laughs) And um, I just kind of started learning, uh, learning those songs that you play in Guitar Hero. And I was just like, hey, you know, this is cool. And then now I don't know how to play Guitar Hero anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a totally different animal, isn't it? Oh, completely different.
2: <laughs> um Sarah, was, my start was a
0: pet band your first uh, experience of music?
2: Oh no. um, uh, my first experience with music was as young as like one and a half, two years old. as soon as I could sit up straight, uh, my grandma had me at her upright piano. Um, luckily, my parents lived very close to my grandma when I was young, so I got to spend a lot of time with them and She kind of instilled that love of of music in me, Um, first by playing piano, and she would encourage me to sing all the time. She would be at every piano recital, every musical, um, just always in support of what I was interested in. Um, So it's kind of always been a part of me.
0: That's fantastic. You you mentioned earlier, Sarah, that uh, composing was an early interest for you. How did you uh, reach the conclusion that you had some interest and in, in some talent in, in writing songs?
2: Uh, it started around the time that I started with piano lessons. Uh, once I got kind of the basics down, I started this rather bad habit of instead of practicing the actual lesson material, uh, I was too busy just writing my own stuff. I would sit at the piano <laughs> And within minutes I'd be just dinking around messing with stuff and then when I came to my lesson I'd show off whatever new piece I made up to the to the teacher and the teacher'd be like, Okay, Sarah, that's that's nice, but now let's play, you know, page six <laughs> and so um so that kind of continued. Um in high school my parents purchased a Klavinova uh, Yamaha piano um with it was more than just a keyboard, it had multi-track recording, it had you know, hundreds of different voices to choose from, and that's when it really kind of took off, because now I could make these pieces that had you know, a piano intro, and then the strings would come in here, and let's add an oboe line here, and um, it was getting more and more complex, and I was really tying that into my love of video game music. And the songs I was writing would be things that I would envision would be part of like a classic like RPG uh, video game soundtrack
3: Hmm. and
2: so after high school I ended up taking a certificate course through Berkeley College of Music and it was specifically geared towards writing music for film and games and Hmm. it was in that course that I learned that I although I had some talent and interest in the actual composing Um, To actually be in that field professionally, you have to have a lot of uh, music production knowledge. And that is Ah. definitely where I come short. I don't know my my EQ from my, (laughs) well, I know what reverb is, but like, you know, I just don't have an ear for that type of thing. And so working with a DAW and with these virtual instruments was a completely different animal. But luckily, right when that course finished, and I was kind of feeling lost and like, maybe this isn't for me was right when Brad and Chris reached out to join Aftertime, So it, it worked out.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> and you know, beyond, beyond the, uh, the, uh, video game music, what are some of your, your influences as a group?
4: Um, uh, my influences, uh, I, grew, I, I grew up listening to Slipknot heavily. So I learned a lot from the drummer, Joey Jordison at the time. And, um, after that, the influences kind of uh, moved to a more rap genre from there. But.
0: Yeah, I can definitely hear the uh, uh, the slipknot in some of your percussion uh, ages. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of that, you know, with the double kick and so on. It's uh, I, I definitely hear that.
4: Oh, yeah, I, lo- I love the fat spills. Thank you.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brad, what about you? What were some of your early influences in, in music? In like, this genre specifically, I guess, I started with, like, Evanescence,
3: with Thin but I've moved on to, like, I like a lot more Celtic stuff now, too, so, like, Leaves Eyes or Elevate, but actually, before I really got into the symphonic metal genre, I kind of grew up with, like, classic rock almost, through my, my mm-hmm. parents.
1: Yeah, I grew up with uh, listening to
3: a lot of classic rock.
1: You know, around those Guitar Hero days, um, that's when I was more introduced to modern metal and stuff like that, so it was uh Avenged Sevenfold was my first like metal band I really got into. And um, so naturally um, one of my guitar idols is Sinister Gates. Not that I can play yep. anything like him, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I definitely, especially with like the album we've been writing, um, I like getting into some more of the, um, the harmonized guitar stuff. That's, it, it just sounds super cool to me, and so that's, that's kind of where a lot of my influence comes from between modern metal and classic rock, and then naturally when Brad and I met, he got me into a lot of the symphonic metal, so
0: we get a lot of that. How, uh, how would you guys describe the musical style of Aftertime?
2: So it, we're obviously in the general realm of symphonic metal, but we take it one step further and actually narrow ourselves down to cinematic metal which basically means what sets us apart from other symphonic metal bands is we double down on the orchestra and the choir, and we really make it sound like it's a soundtrack with metal music. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Stylistically, that also means that our lyrics are more about escapism. We're, we're telling stories with our lyrics. Uh, very rarely do we have a song that's tied to anything in our actual real-life experiences. Um, it's basically designed to help the listener, you know, come away and, and t- go to another place for even just a few minutes.
0: As you as you compare yourselves to other symphonic metal bands, what are some of the things, I mean, you talked a little bit about the orchestration and the choir. Um, are there some other things that you feel like put you in a different category than those those other sort of, let's, I don't want to say mainstream symphonic, but more traditional symphonic metal bands?
2: Yeah, in fact, we've we've been referred to... By a couple of different fans before, as having more of a Euro sound, which I don't think any of us had thought of prior to hearing that. But I suppose it makes sense. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. But our music isn't as commercially well. I don't want to say mainstream either. But we I do, I do think we have a different sound to what you would commercially hear um, on the on the radio or in certain other American metal bands, Um, Mm. and I I take pride in that. I like that we really spend time focusing on the quality of the orchestrations and really make it just as, as, we like using the word bombastic as as much (laughs) as we can. (laughs) Are
0: are there some of the European uh, bands that you model yourselves after or, or take inspiration from? We certainly
2: take inspiration from, from Nightwish, of course. I think
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, in some ways they pioneered the cinematic metal genre, particularly with my favorite album of theirs, the Imaginarum album, partly because that entire album was set to a movie and it worked brilliantly, in my opinion. But, you know, we obviously aren't trying to be a, a Nightwish clone, so we do take inspiration from, from some other bands. Like Brad mentioned, we. We think about some of the things Leeds Eyes uses, or um, people compare our sound to Delane sometimes. Mm-hmm. We kind of take the, the best of little bits of, of other bands and still put our own
3: spin to it.
0: As, as you look down the road, uh, what, what's your vision for the band and your songs? I mean, where, where do you want to take after time?
3: I think Sarah kind of summed it up pretty well is that we like to do the, the storytelling, this um, escapism, and that's something we'd really like to build upon as we do more music. Just constantly be allowing people to kind of, you know, drift away from their normal lives and come with us on a journey to whatever story we're trying to tell them with it, whether it's a concept album or even just a little song. As long as we can keep doing that, I think that's that's probably what we'll keep looking towards.
0: Yeah, do you have some long term goals for the band uh, professionally in terms of your ability to reach new markets and new opportunities and so on?
1: Yeah, we totally have. Um some long-term goals in place, uh, or at least ones that we're working on. Right now, uh, with all this virus stuff, it's kind of screwed up um, our planning for the year a little bit. Right now, it's uh, work on our fundraiser and get that funded as much as possible so we can get the farthest shore out on time. And from there, it's tour around the U.S. again, and then hopefully the world. And eventually, uh, the the big goal is just to make the band um, our professions it's so it's what we all want to do so the end goal is to be able to live off of the band
0: that's fantastic so you mentioned the the new record the farthest shore that you're in the midst of of recording and, and finishing up how's your pre-sale campaign going so far
1: uh it's coming along last i checked we are at well, let's see we're at 56 percent right now it's been running okay. for a couple of weeks now so it's slowed down a little bit as campaigns naturally do sure but, um we're still running it for another month. Well, okay.
3: It's, yeah, it's just a pre-order campaign. There's really no yeah. end date. We just have a, a specific, like, thank you card if you order before uh, April 15th. Mm-hmm. You'll get, like, a, a thank you card that's signed, and that, all the people who order before them will get their names put on it.
0: Nice. That's
2: also the cutoff date for if somebody wants to sign
4: a CD.
0: And you've got some other kind of fun premiums too. You've got a handmade box that it's going to come in, right? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> those are those are all made by by my hands. I might enlist the help of Brad and AJ here for the some of the more monotonous type of tasks. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all handmade by me. Um, the picture on our campaign is kind of the um, the prototype. I do have a couple little changes I want to make to make it a little fancier. It's a uh, cut by me on my table saw and sanded and stained and
0: painted and lacquered wow. and assembled it it's, uh it it I mean if it's anything like the prototype it's it's gorgeous it's absolutely a beautiful image on the on your website Well thank you. And how did you come up with the idea to make that as a as a premium for people?
1: Uh well we um we had it from our previous campaign that was unfortunately unsuccessful but um, we wanted to keep that going because it's just such a cool item. And it's,
0: uh, you know, you hear about box sets. So we're like, okay, well, let's do an actual box. Yeah, let's do an actual box. literal box. box. I, I love it. It's a great, it's a very unique uh, incentive for people. Um, and so how long is it going to take you to build all those? I mean, what's the will people be able to get those right away when the when the record comes out? Uh,
1: yeah, so is, um soon as the, the record comes out, I should have them all complete. I haven't started making any of them yet, but they should not take very long. It it takes longer to make one than it does to make a few of them, in sure. a way, yep. just because if you're making one, you have to make each part you know, all individually. Mm-hmm. If you're making ten of them, you can make all the, the tops at the same time and cut all the bottoms yeah. at once, and you can stain them all at once. So per item, it's quicker when you're making a few of them.
0: Well, that's that sounds really cool. I'm really anxious to see those uh, out in the world, and I know people are going to get excited when they get theirs in the in the mail for sure. Yeah, I'm super excited to get them out for people. Yeah. So yeah, let's there's talk only about. A limited
2: record. quantity of them too.
1: Oh, how many of them are going to? Are there gonna Oh be? yeah. We started with <laughs> we started with thirty of them, and right now I think there's 10? like ten left.
0: Okay. Because you know, yeah. I
1: can only make so many of them.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, that's double incentive for people to get out there to your website, and we'll uh, we'll put a link out for people to get to connected with you, so that they can make that order later on. But let's let's talk a little bit about the record itself. Uh, what's the overarching theme for the Farthest Shore?
2: So basically, the story of the album centers around this group of adventurers, and they have made the decision to pack up all of their belongings and set sail from their homeland to discover what's out there. They want to seek the farthest shore. They want to see how far they can go, what they see along the way, what can they discover, what kind of adventures can they have. And the album takes you through some of those adventures, like with um, withstanding a, a terrible sea uh, storm, um, there's battles that take place. They discover... Islands full of lush vegetation and, and fauna and flora. And sometimes they come across a arcane island with, full of mysticism and, and mystery and all in the pursuit of what lies next, basically. Hmm. It's, it's very adventurous.
0: And I'm, I'm really curious to know about your songwriting process. You know, when you sit down to think of something that's that sweeping in its, in its arc, how, uh, how do you approach the songwriting process?
3: A lot of the songs were uh, started by me, and we kind of just kept basic, kinda, a, a basic feeling throughout the album. and We, we kind of knew what songs needed to go where. Like the, the track list of the album was basically finalized before the songs were even finished writing because we knew we had to convey certain emotions as the album pro- progressed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these songs started, I guess, with um, just general melodies or just like guitar sections, and then we would build out just a basic demo, and then I'd give it to the other band members like AJ. I'd let him write his er, his, uh, drum parts, and Chris would write his solos, and then I'd work with Sarah on the vocal lines. Um, I'll let AJ talk about his drums, I guess, a little bit about that.
4: Uh, the drums. When they hand me any uh, orchestra demos or guitar demos, I usually just spend a, like a good hour to three or four hours just uh, writing a good little rough, like, like scratch track they can just like continue writing to because sure. you're writing a track with no percussion, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to, to think oh, about hard. other things, like <laughs> things. So, uh, yeah, I'll just write a scratch track, just demo wise. I use FL Studio as the. Uh, as my program, so I'll just, like, plug my little electronic drum kit into my computer, basically,
1: uh-huh. and I'll
4: record just a little fake drum audio track, and then I'll bounce it, give it to them, and then they can continue from there. Unless it's Thanksgiving, that one was written all backwards. Uh, also, <laughs> also <laughs> I to mention also on this album, we uh, currently don't have a bassist, uh, so I play bass on the side, and I had to do all the bass recordings, too, for this album.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: One oh, man yeah. rhythm
0: section. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll get like the tracks, the the new drum tracks back from AJ, and we'll me and Sarah will sit down and do the vocals, and then the orchestra is kind of just being built up around it. And then mm-hmm. after the song is completely demoed with everybody's parts, and then our basic orchestral lines, then we give it to um, our orchestrator, Lukey, who takes all of those melodies we have and just kind of amps it all up into what you hear.
0: And so, AJ, I'm curious to know if you bring in all the fills in that initial track that you record for everybody, or does that come later in the process?
4: I I will put in some fast fills. I (laughs) I typically, again, since I'm allowed to use an electronic drum kit, I'm playing naturally, so, yeah, I can add in those fast fills. So it's kind of a a good rough idea for me, too, because as as they're working on the orchestra, I can go into
0: my program
4: and I can adjust it with my keyboard and mouse MIDI.
0: So it sounds like you guys are, are big proponents of technology. Yeah. Absolutely. You kind of have to be with this genre. <laughs> In 2017, you put out the World We've Lost uh, EP with some or, uh, or- orchestral versions of the songs as well. How did the songwriting process for the new record, uh, The Farther Shore, compare to what you guys did with The uh, World We've Lost?
3: For that one, that was a lot. I don't want to say small scale, because those songs are still just as bombastic as the ones that are on the new album, but there's just there's less of them. Um, uh, this new album, there's three times as many songs, and there's a couple songs we wrote that didn't make it to the, the Farther Shore, so the workload was just a whole lot more for this. The actual like song sh- like song uh, songwriting structure was pretty similar. Back then, I think we were still kind of making just basic demos, and then everybody would kind of add their parts, and we'd give it to Lukey at the end. But I would say this time around the whole process was just a lot more extensive.
0: And I'm curious, you know, when you, when you start with the idea of a, of a full story that incorporates all the songs on the, on the record, how, how do you approach, you know you talked just very briefly about song structure and flow on the record, but I'm curious to know sort of how do you architect that whole record with each song having its own place but being distinct?
2: So one thing we wanted to make sure we didn't fall into the trap of is basically using the same structure for all, all of our songs. There are bands out there that kind of have that, that feel to them where you listen through the whole album and you don't realize it started over already. And mm-hmm. that can work for some bands, but we wanted to give each of our songs its own character, its own identity. And so this writing for this album allowed us the chance to kind of mix up the, the formula sometimes. We have songs where it's kind of the straightforward, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Mm-hmm. But then other times we have a song where it's verse one and then kind of a pre chorus and then we go to verse two and then another pre chorus and then you get the chorus and um it was fun to just kind of play with that and, and make sure we're not locking ourselves into any particular structure or any particular, you know, chord patterns mm-hmm. or or energy levels. Uh, we wanted to show in this album as, as diverse as we can be.
0: How do you you handle the lyrical content? I mean, uh, you've obviously got kind of a basic story outline um, as you went into the record, it sounds like, but how do you build that out into a lyrical flow over the course of the story?
2: What Brad and I ended up figuring out over the course of this album, actually, is the the best way for us to approach it is to, first of all, have kind of an idea of what the song's going to be about. You know, this is going to be... This is going to tell the story of uh, an an ancient Greek battle. Okay, so now we have to figure out what's the structure. And then we decide, you know, how many verses, how many times we're going to to play the chorus. And then each verse kind of has a general, like, this much of the story needs to be told in this chunk of the song. This chunk of the song is going to have this part of the story. And then we kind of just break it up into smaller and smaller pieces until we have it basically you know line by line of the lyrics and then we go over it again to make sure it all flows and that the story is cohesive and makes sense
0: not to mention fits with the music both rhythmically as well as from a rhyming perspective right where you do that
2: yeah that can be a challenge too and there was actually a song maybe two songs where we had to actually go back and tweak some of the vocal stuff to better align with the the rest of the music
0: so was that was it different in your approach this time uh, than uh, it, lyrically than it was with the world we've lost because you know it feels like there's a lot more me- you have to be a lot more methodical when you have to service the full story as opposed to you know a, a collection of songs that don't have quite as tight a connection.
2: Yeah, you know, they, there's a saying where they say something along the lines of limitations breed creativity, and basically. <laughs> right. You know, when you're given just a wide open do anything, whether it's a, a science experiment or here's a blank sheet of paper, draw whatever, you can sometimes be paralyzed by just how many choices you have and you yeah. don't know which direction to go. But when you're working in the in the framework of of at least in our case, this this overarching story, you at least have some limitations and then you're allowed to work within those limitations and that actually makes the music come out a lot easier I think.
0: So as you've gone into the studio tell me to talk a little bit about the the recording process are you are you all done with the record now? We're pretty much
4: officially done recording wise so we're, we're kind of on the last stretch with the you know, actually audio side of it which is nice mm-hmm. but um so where we've been recording it, it's actually it's actually pretty funny. We're in 2020, so technology's you know pretty advanced now. Uh, we only use uh, a couple studios for you know recording. Uh, I recorded my drums up in the cities at uh, what was it, Terrarium, Terrarium Studios, hmm. and then Sarah recorded her vocals here in Rochester. Uh, so did Brad at the Res Room. Then. That's the noise studios we use, right? Uh, the choir, the choir was recorded yeah.
3: up in uh, Burnsville at, at
4: the at garage. At the
3: garage. Yep.
4: Cool. Then, and, uh, we used we... a live choir. Yeah, we actually used oh, yeah. a live choir this time around. It was nice. Very nice. Wow. That's kind of a big point.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are yeah, would so, so
2: lucky that we have such we had such a fantastic choir to work with. Um, that was one of the most exciting parts for me in the creation of this album. Um, it's a group based out of the Twin Cities called Minneapolis Impulse. Hmm. It's MPLS Impulse. Um, cool. And they're just a group of young adults that basically <laughs> are trying to take choir into settings that don't usually have choirs. So they've performed in planetariums, they've performed in breweries. And when we reached out to them to be on the symphonic metal album, that was, you know, like the perfect fit.
0: And That's great. they
2: are so talented.
0: So who uh, who created the uh, the music for the choir? I mean, how how did that uh, come together?
3: That was uh, a lot of me and Sarah. We would take mm-hmm. those vocal lines and uh, just make the main melody, and then we would write the other parts to be harmonies or mm-hmm. uh, maybe doubling the melody but an octave down. Uh,
0: how big was the choir?
3: 16 people. There was uh, four people in each section.
0: How was it recording at the garage? Was that uh, a good room to record in? It
3: was re- It was real big. It was
4: acoustically treated well. And then their console room was pretty well done, too. It was a nice
0: experience. So you must have gotten a really full sound out of the choir.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I, I can't wait to hear that. Uh, that's going to be really an exciting element to, to the record. I was in choir all through junior high and high school and all of that. So I'm uh, very excited to hear a choral arrangement on the new record. How many songs did you incorporate them in?
3: I don't know (laughs) the exact number off the top of my head. I think they're in almost every song, but maybe like one or two. They're they're used quite a bit throughout the album.
2: Yeah. Some songs they're very heavily featured and then others, they may only have a little piece they do in like the bridge of the song. So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: they're, they're pretty consistently throughout the album.
0: So who's, who's producing the record for you?
4: Uh, it's funny. We actually have, uh, we do a lot of in-house uh, guitar recording, too. So I've actually had to take the reins for that, going about recording the guitarist, the bass, and then editing it for when we send it over to the init- uh, the final producer, who's going to mix and master it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a mix of me, our orchestra producer, Lukey, and then our guy, oh, Zachary, uh, Zachary Hollander, who did the drum editings. And then we are using Jost Vandenbroek this time around and then, uh, and mastering.
3: the choir was recorded by uh, Robert Frost III and the vocals by uh, Andy Gwynn here in Rochester at the res room. So quite a few different producers, but the actual mixing producer is Jost uh, Vandenbroek, who did Epica. He's worked with Xandria. Wow. A lot of name people in the genre. We're very happy to be working with him.
0: Yes. hmm That's fantastic. And so, so what was the collaboration like? I mean, working with that many different people on the production end had to be fairly complex.
4: It's it's a lot of like long work and a lot of communication. Uh, Brad's I think Brad's kind of uh, done all the communicating with all of the other producers. Uh, in-house, again, guitars, we kind of just sit down and do a day of recording a couple songs, and then I take a week or two to edit them, and
3: then that's done on our end. Brad, if you want to talk about the other ones? Yeah, I've been... All of the discussions with um, our orchestrator, Lukey, and the producer that will be mixing, Yoast, they've all been done remotely, usually just Facebook chat or
0: mm-hmm. through
3: email. But they've been real real nice to work with because they're very quick to respond, and it's very nice. And the same went with, uh, like, working with Andy for the choir and Zach. They were, everybody was real they're real easy to communicate with and to work with. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. Well, I got to believe with with someone like Yost who's had so much experience in the genre, uh, has got to help a lot. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get connected with him in the first place?
3: Uh, we just, I, I knew he, that, that he produced a lot of these, um, albums that we listened to. So I just, I went on his website and I sent him an email and I think it was less than a day later Mm -hmm he responded back wanting to, to hear some of our music, for example, and then he seems pretty excited to work with us. So That's
0: a funny. lot of credit
3: needs to go to, to his end for being so open to working with us.
0: So had you had you been performing any of the songs uh, before you went into the studio, or are they all brand new, essentially, for, for the recordings?
2: Uh, most of them have been kept under lock and key,
0: <laughs> but...
2: Uh, the 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 leading single from this album is Worldly Lost," which people are already quite familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, when we released that, what we now refer to as an EP, Worldly um, the original intent was for that to be the lead single um, and that the album would ideally have followed shortly thereafter. But besides that track, uh, we did bring out our track, uh, Planetary Eyes, for our tour last year where mm-hmm. we got to tour the the west and, and southwest United States and that was definitely a, a fan favorite. It's, it's one of my personal favorites which, you know, those two things might be connected. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really exciting to see the reactions from people. Um, we have played that either once or twice at local shows now so it was interesting to see the difference between people who we're hearing all of our music for the first time versus people who had already heard some of the tracks and then heard this new song. One other song we've brought out just on a single live performance so far is A Journey Itself, uh, which is more of our Celtic, um, not quite ballad, but it's, it's a lower energy level. It's, it's more lilting and, and dance-like, and mm-hmm. people had a lot of fun with that one, too.
0: So people have had a chance to get a, a few a few little sneak peeks at it.
2: Yeah, just a little taste.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think we should give people a chance to really appreciate uh, your music. And World We've Lost, since we've been talking about it, seems like a good one to, to share first. Um, talk a little bit about what, what we should be listening for as we listen to that song.
1: So World We've Lost is not a super complex song, but it's it's really cool. Um there's a few different tempo changes in it um, that you could definitely uh, look for to just note the kind of change in um, energy it gives. Uh, there are a couple different motifs that change between the intro of the song and um, like the the chorus and pre-chorus and um, those type of areas. And then uh, there's a key change at the end that is always fun to fun to have in songs, just to kind of change the mood a little bit and add some excitement as we pull the song to
0: the end fantastic well let's give people a chance to listen to After Time and this is World We've Lost you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles song has a number of tempo changes. AJ, uh, we talked a little bit about that before we started listening to the song. You've got a lot of different beats happening in that same structure, and I'm really curious, especially about your use of the double kick. Um, And I know, know we talked at the beginning of the conversation about you being a big Slipknot fan, but talk a little bit about the importance of that. Uh, double kick fill in the song
4: the double kicks are very important in this genre too i found as soon as i joined this band cause I, <laughs> I had no clue about the genre when i joined the band so brad kind of started showing me a lot of the music i started i liked it right away mm-hmm. and uh they still use a lot of double kick and fills like that so i just added more of you know more fills on my end uh during yeah. recording i'm constantly moving sweating just because i'm 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 adding a lot of stuff So, um, yeah, no, the importance of my fills is just to really connect those uh, multi-tempo areas of the song. And um, during that part with, like, the tribal uh, drum part with me and Sarah just uh, playing, it was really kind of complicated for me to figure that one out just because that was a new tempo for me and a new kind of uh, feel. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that was a challenge. But, no, a lot of the tracks they hand me are kind of multi-tempoed like that or something so Mm -hmm. it's a really good practice thing for me too so i like
0: it how many different time signatures are there in the song
3: Ooh, brad time signature (laughs) i i think it's four four most of the way through is it all the way through i think so there's like two or three tempo changes yep um the intro I think it's like one fifty five. I don't have looked at it in a while. I think it's one fifty five. I think one fifty five and then the, like that first verse is down to one thirty. And then it I think starting with the the first pre chorus it kicks back up to one fifty five. It, it just mm-hmm. gives it a little bit of variation between sure. the excitement level. And then like you said, AJ has a double kick throughout I is the chorus mostly. Right, uh, I, I, I have it through the intro and bridge and chorus. Yeah. That really adds a lot of excitement to the song. It's actually one of the most high-energy ones we do when we play live, and it really comes across that in the audience, too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, because I play Double double Kick in other tracks,
4: so when World We've Lost, right when it kicks in with the double pedal in the beginning, everyone's jumping and going.
0: (laughs) I bet they are. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I like to refer to that song as anthemic.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely an anthem. I'm I'm curious, you know, that there's a real counterpoint between, Sarah, your very flowing vocal melody and then underneath you've got this very staccato, you know, very aggressive instrumental thing happening. How, how did you work that together and how did you feel like you wanted to bring that together?
2: See, it's been so long since we wrote this one, but <laughs> um, I think basically my strategy was there's a lot going on in this song. There's a lot of different rhythms and, and melodies happening within the orchestra and within what the, what the guitars are doing. And if you hear closely enough, even the bass guitar is practically being played like a guitar. It's, it's such an active line. So for my vocals, I wanted to have more of a straightforward kind of soaring over the rest of everything else and really helps drive the attention to the lyrics themselves.
0: Yeah. It almost, it almost feels like it becomes more of a focal point because it's so much different. It's kind of, I, I found myself sort of resting mentally while I was listening to you just because it, it had such a, you know, more of a flowing, it felt like a real through line to the song. Yeah. We, uh,
3: we, we do this kind of thing a lot, kind of on this new album. It's, almost uh, the eye of the storm type thing where there's so much crazy instrumental going around around the vocals, but the vocals are very focused and, and almost legato. And when you mm-hmm. put those two things together, it works quite well.
0: Well, and especially if you're thinking about, you know, sort of a journey, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong on an epic journey of that, you know, that magnitude and to have mm-hmm. sort of that steady pace it makes it feel like it's a, it's sort of, uh, okay, there's there's hope. The other thing, too, Sarah, that I was I was really impressed with uh, is the vocal harmonies. And I don't know, especially in the beginning of that song, I don't know if, is that you doing all of those vo- vocals yourself?
2: <laughs> no, the very beginning of the track is actually our kind of home-brewed choir that Got we it. had for that album. So okay. I am singing part of the soprano lines, but we had, um, I think, three or four other individuals that were making up that kind of quasi-choir.
3: When we recorded the choir this time around, we had them re- re- uh, redo the World We've Lost Choir part, so it will sound like the rest of the album. It'll be a little more... Uh, it'll cohesive. Be, yeah. And Fun. Poor, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's really that's that's going to be fun to hear. I mean, I really like the, the the harmonies on on it as it as it stands. But to have four times as many voices on it is going to be really cool. Yeah. You know, Sarah, as I think about this song as compared to like Masquerade, which is when we're going to play next, um, the your vocal style is very different in Masquerade. I mean, it's almost a percussive instrument in places during the song. Talk a little bit about how you developed that approach for this one.
2: Yeah, the the difference is obvious because uh, I didn't write my vocals for Masquerade, or at least I had very little very little influence on them. Um, mm-hmm. This song was, for the most part, pretty much written by the time I joined the band. Mm-hmm. So it was written by the previous vocalist, which was AJ's sister, which the lyrics also belong to her. So um, she and I have very different vocal styles. She's more of an alto... Kind of a more of a mezzo voice, um, where I'm, you know, soprano day and night. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: So um, that certainly is is why there's a difference there. But i I like to think I've made it my own over over time as I've gotten more and more familiar with the song.
0: Well, let's give people a chance to to listen to it. This is "Masquerade" by After Time. <laughs> That song has some pretty extensive orchestration, gang. How how are those strings and horns? Are they all created electronically on this one?
4: So yeah, we we will create uh, when we are writing our new songs, we'll create a little demo orchestra on our side, and Mm -hmm. then we'll send the orchestra or the orchestration sheet music and the MIDI over to Luki over in Austria, Mm -hmm. and he will uh, use live samples that are digitally replicated on computer. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it is live samples recorded. It's just Replicate on a computer. Um, mm-hmm. So he'll do that on his end, send him back over to us, and that makes them sound all pretty. And then live, I will use a computer behind my drum kit to trigger our orchestra live. Wow. And while that computer, at one point, we actually had it uh, running a light show, like automated. Jeez. So that was pretty fun.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've obviously got um, some thought even early in your career toward the visual component of, the, of this of the show.
4: Uh, no, I just stumbled upon it, and I thought it
3: was cool. <laughs> um, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, kind of fun fact about Masquerade, um, the orchestra on that. When we started working with Luki, that was the first one we gave him as kind of like a test run, hmm. and that's what he gave back to us. And we're like, Yeah, you're not, you're not leaving. We're keeping you <laughs> for <there> a while.
0: <laughs> we
3: must have more. <laughs>
0: Uh, we talked uh, talking a little bit about stage shows. Uh, you mentioned your tour uh, last year, Sarah. You've also had a chance to share the stage with some pretty no- notable bands over the last few years. What, what have been some of the more memorable moments for you from touring and playing in some of the local shows?
2: Yeah, the, the tour specifically was such an awesome opportunity to make new memories and, and meet new people and see new places. It's I, I hold those me- memories very dear. Um, as far as any specific there, there's two that come to mind, one of which is just kind of the overall feeling of every night is a new audience, and because we haven't done anything out of our own state really prior to that, every audience was, was a brand new face. You know, most of them, you know, probably came for, for the other band that was a little more well-known in those parts, but, you know, hearing our music for the first time, and getting to see that, that first impression night after night and mm-hmm. to see new people fall in love with the music and want to get to know us and, and to like us enough to buy our merch, it just filled me with so much positivity. And the other thing that was that was so, so nice on tour is um, at the time, my, my mother was actually living out of state in Oregon. And we just so happened to have a show in Oregon. And she was actually able to come see that show about halfway through the tour um, and, and to see us perform completely out of perspective of our normal hometown show. And it was just kind of a nice taste of home in the middle of everything else being so new.
0: That's fantastic. And you obviously had to have had a chance to watch uh, you know the headliner and the, some of the other bands that you've played with what What do you look for as a as a you know opening act or a, it really as a as a young band? What do you look for from their experiences and your experiences watching them?
2: We had so much time to to study each other on this tour because you know we t- we took turns you know between who would be the headliner each night, it went back nice. and forth every other night. And so over time, you know, I definitely wanted to make sure we, we kind of studied, you know, their their stage presence, how do they interact with the crowd, how consistent are they night after night, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if we've even said their name yet, Seven Spires is the band that we toured with, um, and these, these guys... We, we jokingly refer to them as kids because I think they're all younger than, than most of us, but they are wow. so talented, and they all met through being students at Berkeley um, out east, and mm. the, that education certainly comes through, and I, I think it's, it's kind of funny because you have a certain view of a band through just what they put out online and, and on social media and what you see presented. And then to be able to kind of see behind the scenes as you're literally driving from city to city and all the ups and downs and all the sleep deprivation and the, <laughs> and the 1 a.m. jack-in-the-box and all of that. And they're, they're just kids. They're just people like us. and I mean, obviously they yeah. are, but it was nice to kind of put our own, uh, I don't know, our, our insecurities or our thoughts in check. To see that really we were pretty much on the on the same level, and I think we both learned a lot from each other through that tour.
0: If you were to describe an aftertime show to somebody, what would you? How would you describe it?
2: Hopefully, our intent is that it's unforgettable. Whether we're just the the first opening act of the night, or if we're the headliner or something in between, we put our 100% effort out every time we are on stage. We not once dial in when we're on stage, and we hope that comes across to our audience. We want to make sure we're the act you are thinking about when you're leaving that venue that night, because who knows the next time they're going to be able to see us live, and we just want to leave them with that unforgettable experience that we have taken you on this journey with us.
1: Even though we are, uh, sometimes we'll be opening shows or what have you, we are cinematic metal. And I think that just kind of carries with it a feeling of energy, big, and uh, you know things you think of when you think of a cinema. So right. when we're doing our live show, we're up there dripping sweat. We want to put on a show. We're not just playing music. We want to put on a show for everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's we're uh, we're definitely still learning. Um, and you know ways we can improve our stage uh, appearance but it's going to be a lot of fun with uh, the upcoming the upcoming album but there's just so much more story to tell and kind of translate through our live stuff that it's just going to be so much fun
0: so how how do you take that you know what's obviously the musically very cinematic and anthemic and bombastic how do you what what are the key elements to your your visual presentation that make that stage experience bring the story to life? I mean, wardrobe or how you interact with each other or whatever.
4: Fog. Lots of fog. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um,
2: In addition to that, um, we've always had stage clothes, specific outfits that we wear on stage, um, and that's really important to us because uh, you, you know, again, it's part of your branding. For for some bands, it's part of their brand to to wall stuff on stage in in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and just kind of do their thing, and that works for them. But because we're trying to be larger than life, we in a way are playing characters. So having specific stage outfits that fit our branding and and match amongst ourselves um, is really important and. We uh, we had we had a blast, or at least I had a blast, putting together new stage outfits uh, for this new album. Um, so much and so often in metal, you see if they are wearing stage clothes, you know it's all black and it's you know mm-hmm. got spikes on it or chains or you know typical metal kind of outfit. But mm-hmm. since we are the adventurers from our album, you know we specifically made a rule to stay away from black. So we've got. <laughs> Browns cool. and, and yeah. tans and creams and so being in stage clothes is important. Being very active on stage is important. I'm constantly moving around trying to make sure everybody in the audience gets a chance to you know see, see us in different arrangements and from different angles and that I want to be able to interact with everybody in that audience if possible. Yeah, just, just basically trying to be larger than life.
0: And I know Sarah that you're uh, you're active in cosplay as well, and I'm I'm curious to know how much of your influence or how much of that influence has brought brought itself over to the band's visual.
2: Well, I mean, the feeling of being stuck in boots and and tight fitting clothing all day has prepared me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, and I. I haven't really made anything from scratch for stage clothes. There's been thoughts about using like a particular costume, but it doesn't it doesn't really fit the branding if I walk up as, you know, X23 from Marvel Comics. It's, it's
3: <laughs> right. a little bit of
2: a different universe, but sure. I suppose there's some benefit to kind of already having that experience.
4: With Sarah being skilled in cosplay and making her own outfits, uh, she actually made the shirt I wore on the uh, Artboard yeah. with Fall of Light.
2: Nice. I forgot nice. about that. Yeah. Well, and uh, and
0: AJ, you've got uh, you've got sort of a visual brand too, right? You you wear something covering your face while you're uh, I, while you're on stage, right?
4: Uh, yeah. First uh, first round with Fall of Light in the World We've Lost EP, I wore the black bandana. It would fall off a lot on stage, but <laughs> that's a bandana for you. <laughs> And uh, now, uh, if you look at our new artwork for the upcoming album, I have designed a new look, and yeah, I love the scarf, love the mask, love the
1: hood. (laughs) Up till now, we've uh, only ever just wore these black clothes on stage. You know, it kind of fit the Fall of Light branding, but um, getting into the Farthest Shore, we're super excited to bust out these new outfits and stuff. Oh, yeah. Because just Black clothes isn't isn't what we want to be known for. Also,
3: <laughs> the, the fall of white clothing on stage gets very hot. Oh, so <laughs> oh, yeah, white oh, like long sleeves and thick pants and, yeah,
4: this it is why it gets very warm. This is why I wear a kilt. Brett, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> I support that. I hey, support. I'm
2: excited to be wearing pants this time around. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a flowing skirt, you know, especially if it's floor length, it can be kind of tricky with all the equipment on stage.
2: I've had a few close calls.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> Speaking of gear, what uh, what kind of gears do you ge- gear do you guys use on stage? For the drums I use, I use Pearl
4: drums. Uh, my cymbals are a mixture of Sabian,
0: uh Wuhan,
4: Zildjian, yeah, a mixture. And uh, I'm also really the gear head of the band, so I use the computer as I said earlier for mm-hmm. the backtracks, orchestrations and running lights or geysers. And uh, a couple uh, months ago, or a couple a year ago, before the tour, we got the in-ear monitor set up. Oh, and nice. It's a nice full rack. We can just wheel on stage, and we can plug our wireless uh, in-ears in, and
0: we all have our own mixes, and we're ready to go. It's got to make setup on, on stage a lot easier, too.
4: Uh, yeah, for the tour, that definitely came in handy, because that was around the time Chris and Brad upgraded their amps to just... Uh, DI into our IEM rack,
0: mm-hmm. and
4: that way we could just wheel it on stage, turn everything on, and, yeah, we we were ready to go. If we had amps or cabs, it would have made setup kind of twice as long, and that in some cases we did not have the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the space on stage. Or the space, yeah.
1: Opting yeah. to go to, um, like, DI is, I think, just a great decision for uh, playing shows because after you go through speakers anyway – like the house speakers, you're really not going to notice like a ridiculous sound difference. And that's not what people are really there for anyway. Right. <laughs> so if we can get set up on stage, you know, quickly and uh, in a timely and efficient manner, then that makes the show get going pretty quick. So yeah, I upgraded. Uh, I was using like a half stack before and then I decided, well, you know, this Kemper thing looks pretty cool. So I uh, bought myself a Kemper profiler with uh, the foot, the foot switch and that's been just a fantastic decision. So I just have a little, um, what's like a five, U, just a little case that my, I have a little drawer and I got my camper and I've got a, a power conditioner and it, uh, that's all I need. And then I, I even, uh, put some little straps on the back, uh, the back door of my, of my rack case where I can uh, stick my pedal. So everything just, my whole setup just fits right in that little case. And then
0: I just have to worry about that in my guitar. Boy, when you know you talked earlier, Sarah, about necessity being the mother of invention. Boy, you're mm-hmm. uh, you guys are going to be your own roadies for your whole career. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well,
2: hopefully not forever.
1: <laughs> 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 Part of the fun is uh, I'm pretty techy myself. I end up doing a lot of the computer work and stuff. And then between me and AJ, we uh, we end up collabing a lot with uh, some of these some of these ideas.
4: Yeah, he went the extra mile. And uh, for our computer system we use for the orchestrations live, he built a rolling uh, road case and even uh, stained it and put some brass uh, corners on it, made it nice. fancy.
1: Uh,
4: and then we put a uh, battery in it, so if the power ever goes out at a concert, my rig is fine and the uh, show can keep going till the power comes back on.
1: Wow.
2: We lovingly <laughs> refer to it as the crate.
4: <laughs> trademark. A trademark. <laughs>
2: Great, PM
0: I love it. Well, it's it sounds like in our in our coming Mad Max future, you guys are going to be the only live band with an amplified show.
2: All right, uh, bring it on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, sadly, this whole thing is keeping you from a show uh, that was originally planned for uh, for Monday night. How much uh, How much is this uh, situation affected your 2020?
1: it has definitely affected us as well as, you know, a lot of other bands and it's, it's the same, but you know, we're, we're doing what we can. We have, you know, we, uh, we planned out like all of our 2020, we want to be able to do, we want to try and do one or two shows every at least couple months. We want to have Mm -hmm. a regular show schedule, but you know, (laughs) for the foreseeable future, that's kind of, kind of changed. And, um, so right now we're just focusing on trying to increase awareness for our, our pre-order campaign for the Fire of the Shore,
4: mm-hmm.
1: because as long as um as long as we can get that funded, then the album album can uh, still get put out on time. We've got Andy; he's still working on vocal edits, and then we've been in contact with Yoast. Yoast is such a good guy. <laughs> he he sent us an email like on Friday, just asking how things are how things are doing. Good and um. So it sounds like things are still good on on his end. So, great. As long as we can get that that campaign rolling or mm-hmm. keep it rolling, and uh, we can get the funding we need, then uh, everything should still go as planned. as far As far as the shore goes,
0: you know, I uh, I've seen a number of bands that have been doing you know like live streams and maybe and even putting their Venmo accounts up on the their live streams. Have you guys thought about doing something like that? Uh, we have. Actually,
3: pretty recently, we started discussing the possibility of doing maybe um, an acoustic live show. Oh, cool. Uh, streaming. We're actually, I think, just going to take the setlist we were going to do for the show. That was, that guy canceled uh, mm-hmm. the Insomnium show. I think we're going to take that set list and turn it acoustic, and then we will we still got to figure out how we're going to stream it or where to stream it. But there, there are some plans to, to try and do that. Well,
4: yeah, we have the equipment ready and available to do
3: it so
1: we just got to work so out tough. the the details. Sure. Well, so keep us posted on at, that.
2: We're looking at hopefully April to, to do something like that.
0: Are are you thinking about a CD release party sometime during the year?
3: Yeah, it'd be really nice to do it. We've talked about doing one kind of a lot. We want to kind of put on a more a, a larger show than we normally do for that, but with all the the virus stuff going on right now, we just got to Play it by ear. Hopefully, it's cleared mm-hmm. up by the time the album comes out, and we can do that.
1: Yeah. Speaking of like, um, just uh, stage performance stuff for the release party show, we have some plans to add a little more to that naturally because it's the album album release show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, we've uh, thought about some fun props we can add. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some cannons that shoot smoke or something like that. Sweet. <laughs> um, it, it'll be it'll be quite the show. There's a lot of options for um, props and you know a little branding stuff as far as the kind of farther shore adventure theme goes. So nice. we're uh, we're going to get pretty creative with that, I think. You're going to
0: have the cast of 300 come out and leave you <laughs> on stage.
2: Oh crap! You heard about that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, was I not supposed to say? <laughs>
2: Listen, just because one of our songs takes place during the Polynesian War.
0: <laughs> oh, that's going to be really exciting! I can't wait to to get a chance to see that show. That'll be that'll be really fun. We can borrow a boat from Leaves Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> or the you know, uh, uh, Am-Ana Marth also has a giant Viking boat. You could probably borrow that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Perfect.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we do a giant, so, if everyone would do a giant Viking boat can we just do like a pontoon I feel like a, a very
3: American pontoon the that would be very pontoon. Minnesota
0: that would be very Minnesota
1: <laughs> we just do a raft there, there we, we go. go just a log raft
0: the <laughs> farthest lake
3: the <Paradise> farthest lake
0: yeah <laughs> So, uh, are you going to be... I mean, obviously, uh, World We've Lost is on the record, and that's out uh, from the from the EP. Are you going to be releasing any other singles from uh, Farther Shore before you go live with the full record?
2: Yeah, we've got a couple other songs identified that we're going to release as singles, um, and they're going to either have a, a music video or a lyric video attached to them. Nice. Um, given the time frame that we're on right now um they'll likely start launching with the album rather than ahead of time where mm-hmm. it's going to kind of depend on yoast's workflow and um how that all comes together but yeah we've, we've got a few ideas for that
0: that sounds fantastic it'll be fun to see those those videos that always adds an, an, a, a component to any music, but obviously with such a visual, uh, storytelling medium in your lyrics and the, and the songs themselves, video will be a really nice addition.
2: Yeah, that's where the cinematic element can really shine.
0: Indeed. So, uh, where do we send people to find your music? First place
1: is just, uh, YouTube. We have some of our songs there. And, uh, apart from that, um, just find us on our Facebook page and, uh, our Instagram and social sites. Specifically
2: you know. for listening to music, we do have a Spotify page. Uh, okay. We also have music for sale on Bandcamp.
0: Great. Well, we'll make sure everybody's got links to uh, to that, and and we've got a link to your Bandcamp up on the uh, uh, the radio show website. Um, so you we'll make sure that people can get to you through that. You know, obviously in this crazy time when you're trying to get a record out and need to raise funds for that, I'm sure that money is a really important part of this. What what can people do to support you and other bands right now?
2: That's a really good question. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that's, it, for me, it's been the most difficult part about all of this is that our our friends and family in the entertainment industry with music or as independent artists, visual artists, um, those people are being hit so hard right now with all of these canceled events and, and this kind of, line of, of work does not lend to having, you know, reserves or sick pay or paid time off, or, or in some cases not even eligible for the, for the unemployment that's being um, made available to others. So the really important thing, obviously we'd like you to help support us with our, with our campaign at aftertimeshop.com, but for other bands that are in some cases on the brink of whether or not they're even going to survive this year, um, please buy merch, go to go to their bandcamp pages. I know yesterday was the big deal for for Bandcamp to waive their fees um, mm-hmm. for bands, but even even aside from that date, if you purchase music from Bandcamp, they do still get the majority of those funds. Even if you don't have any money to give, just go stream their music on Spotify a few dozen times. That you know it, it may only add a little bit, but it does help. I think well, we just need to come together as a as a community and and really support each other and just try and keep everybody afloat till this is all over.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, certainly uh, we're excited for the new the new After Time record to come out. The farther shore, um, we're excited to hear some of the new music, and we will absolutely put uh, links to your social platforms and music platforms on uh, our social media as well. Sarah and Brad and Chris and AJ, it's been just fantastic spending this last hour plus with you guys. It's, it's really been a lot of fun getting to know you, and uh, I'm really excited to see your uh, your show when when you're able to come out and play live. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely, Thank you,
3: Jason.
0: You bet. This was a blast. Uh, everybody, this was After Time, and you've been listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles.